Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. At your home. I'm always home. I'm on tour. Me too. You're doing great, dude. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. Is it my advice to you? I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires at $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, GoBros, welcome to the GoBro Room. I got Mr. Paul Sloped in the room here. Paul, welcome to the GoBundance Podcast. Well, Pat, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Paul, let's start this off all right and get to know you. Can you give me like a four-minute story of the day you were born until today? You know, a timeline. Give me a list so we can get to know you. Okay, so uh, I'm a child of the 60s. I grew up during the early, I was born in 1961 and grew up during the 60s and early 70s. And so that had a big impact on my life. I grew up in uh, New York, uh, spent uh, most of my early life up in New York, went to school there, went to college there, uh, worked in New York City for years. I have uh, my background is uh, most of my, uh, as my GoPod knows, and as many of the GoBros know, is uh, I have been in the financial services industry for over 30 years, actually close to 40 years now. And I've had over that a long career building businesses for uh, other companies and building my own business. I'm in the uh, third iteration of building a company. So this will be interesting. We can talk about that later if you want. Uh, I've got two wonderful kids who are grown up. And I'm hoping that my uh, daughter gets engaged soon. She's been going out with the same guy for a long time. So I can have uh, grandkids. I guess that's a little selfish. And they're my, both my kids are doing well and uh, really getting their lives in gear. So that is the uh, quick and dirty version about me. I mean, my, uh, my big hobbies, is people know, I love to go fly fishing. I'll do that whenever I can. I usually schedule a lot of days out on the stream just to go. I'm fortunate here in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has the largest miles of Class A trout streams in the country, which most people don't know. 
So I get to take advantage of that. And in fact, I'm going to talk at a conference in early March and they have two very famous streams not too far from the conference and the fishing gear is going in. So when I'm done talking with them with the conference, I'm going fishing. My other, my other big hobby is martial arts. I'm actually a martial arts instructor, teach on a regular basis. That's what really keeps me in shape. And there's your quick uh, three, two to three minute synopsis of my life, Pat. Happy to drill in wherever you want. No, I love it. That's very good. That's uh, lots of questions there. That's that's incredible. What what uh, style martial arts? I do uh, Kempo Karate. I'm currently a fifth degree black belt in Kempo Karate and uh, working towards my sixth degree black belt. Holy dirt. Now, what, what country is Kempo from? Well, it's actually American, but it's a combination of Okinawan Karate with some Kung Fu. And there's also built into it, there's a lot of the joint locks that come out of uh, jujitsu. It was originally put together by a guy named uh, Ed Parker. For those of us who remember Inspector Clouseau and his sidekick, yeah. Parker actually played his sidekick. What the heck? <laughs> right? And he actually taught. So if you saw Elvis Presley do martial arts in some of the movies, he taught Elvis Presley and many other movie actors their martial arts is it is it mainly like uh so that's very interesting so he kind of uh he created a soup he kind of put a bunch Correct. of different styles together and said let's do this and uh, and and you how that so you've been here yeah, fifth degree black belt you've been doing this a long time huh yeah i've been doing it since this style since 1995 Wow. And, uh, you know, during that time, 1995, 2005, 2015, that's 25 years. Uh, did you ever take a time where you're like, ah, third degree is enough? Or did you always have the need to keep going higher and higher in degree? Did that well, ever stop? And here's the thing. The degree only recognizes progress. So martial arts is always about continual progress. Yes. And continuous improvement. Yes. And it's all about discipline, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's all up to you to be accountable to doing what you need to do to be able to get to the next level and learning all the different things and improving yourself. So it's all about self-improvement, really. Interesting. Wow. So you never stop. You just always I never real, stop. I'm always, I'm always into improving myself. There's lots of things I can still improve about myself. And so I just think, you know, it's always about continuously making yourself a better version of yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and uh, business-wise, you own, tell me about the company you own. Okay, so the company I own is uh, called Green Drake Advisors. It is a registered investment advisory. We typically, our typical client is a business owner. We actually have two classes of clients which is very interesting. Our typical client is an entrepreneur who's made, them, made their own money, built their own business. We end up advising them on their business, on managing their wealth, on philanthropy, on their estate plans, on next generation issues. And so that's typical. And the net worth of those clients is typically between 5 million and let's say 30 million which okay. means most successful entrepreneurs fit in there. 
Then we have picked up very interestingly in the last year, what I would call some family office clients. My background, just so you know, is I worked for places like Wellington and BlackRock and built an institutional investment management company. And so in those roles, I used to manage directly several billion dollars in assets for those institutions. And so what's happened is now we're starting to pick up some very large uh, wealthy families with net worth well in excess of $100 million, where we're advising them on their wealth and doing a variety of other things. So it's, it's very interesting. We kind of have that, it's kind of bifurcated into this sort of core people who are business people where we can help them and do a variety of things for them. And then there's another core that's developing really of what I would call family office type. Client. Yeah, I imagine in a family office situation, it's a different dynamic of what you're used to because... You know, the one thing when you essentially when you get an entrepreneur, unless he's going through a divorce, he's in complete control of his decisions. Right. He's like he or she is like, do this, do that. Paul, I want to do this or give me your advice on that. And then they make a decision. But in family offices, you probably it's probably a bit of a mess. Right. When you're uh, this person wants to do this and this person wants to do that. And everyone has their own. ideas. what is is so what you do, it, it depends. Okay. So typically, the person who hires us is the person who heads up the family, okay, who's in charge, ultimately. And the patriarch or the matriarch, matriarch. right? Or is it right. someone both. who's, yeah, okay, you okay. have both. I have both. And, and so what happens is you will create a structure to rationalize the family, so then you have what we call an investment policy statement which basically means a guideline for how you're going to manage the family's wealth, how it's going to get distributed among various people. And oftentimes, especially with wealthy families, a lot of the wealth is held in trusts. So then it's how are the trusts managed and Mm. ensuring that the wealth is managed in accordance with the trust. Now, I tend to attract, for a variety of reasons, people who are similar in the family office size to the entrepreneur clients I typically serve. Isn't that so they tend to be hands-on people and I'm used to dealing with them. Yeah. I, I can see that because like I set up a trust for tax purposes and I made my uh, two daughters uh, 49% owners each. My wife and I are 2% owners of the trust but I have a hundred percent managing power and that trust has done very well since I set it up. I had some lucky breaks in it and uh, it's become 12 things where it started at a three, let's say. And um, <laughs> that's the nature. And, and, but, but they don't, my kids don't know they're 25 and 23. They have no clue what's going on inside there. It, it's all, it's all me. Like I deal with it. It's my baby, right? Cause I'm the manager of it. Uh, so I could see what you're saying. So I guess you don't have it like it's on TV, like Succession and all this stuff like that, where they dramatize uh, these big, rich families. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's made for TV stuff, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. most rich families tend to want to live in the shadows, and they really mm. don't want 
their wealth to be truly publicized. Yes, and that and that's an in, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Right, because it's almost like uh, uh, people think the opposite. Uh, you know, you know, it's interesting. I was uh, I was talking to a young guy uh, last week, and literally we were waiting for something. I don't get into details. We were standing on the corner waiting, and uh, a guy comes up to another guy and they reintroduce themselves like they hadn't seen each other in a while. And he says to him, he goes, Oh, were you at one of your restaurants? And he goes, yeah, I was at such and such restaurant. And, and he goes, you own like 13 of them down here in the city. Now this is downtown Charleston. He said, yeah, I'm up to 13 restaurants. Then he walks away and the kid turns to me and he goes, God, did you see that guy? He didn't look anything like, you know, he would own 13 restaurants. And I thought, I said, hey, that's how it is, son. That's that's reality. You know what that's I mean? That's reality. Yeah, yeah. I, I have one guy I know. He's a retired CFO of a public company. And he benefited from all the stock options and all. And he's worth um, nine figures because of it. Okay. He walks around. He likes to wear a black shirt and a pair of dungarees. Yeah. That's it. I'm, and he, I'm the same guy. And I've, al I've always said if I had to say one thing about like my life in that you know I had a a long string of years where the, and being famous was part of the job the more famous you became as a real estate agent the more people called you because you branded yourself right, because you branded and got more volume and bigger jobs etc yeah and now that I'm I've moved to another state and I'm, and I'm a much more anonymous I'll be anonymous all day long. I mean, it's you're much better off being rich and anonymous, rich and not rich and not famous than rich and famous. I mean, you know, I mean, given the choice, right? Given the choice, yeah, no, 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 no. So most of the clients certainly that wealth level want to be anonymous. Yeah, fascinating. All right, well, let's get down to some nitty gritty here. I apologize. I just love engaging in uh, in, in in all these questions. Uh, you, you know about the stuff that you're an expert in but uh, first of all let's talk a little bit about paul what what percentager are you well in terms of percentages let me give you a breakdown of my uh, income here so if i was to look at my income and we start with a hundred percent uh because i have a vertical business and that's where most of my income comes from currently uh, my taxes turn out to be somewhere around 28 percent of my income currently headed lower you mean you're you're you wait a minute you're, you're so, so for every hundred dollars i make i hand 28 bucks to the government right right got it got, okay. got it so unfortunately that's not a great place to be in and well, over time i'm going to lower it yes yes well let me ask you this so let's what so your family right right it's it, expenses now how old are your kids my kids are 25 and 27. They are out the door and They're supporting out. themselves. No, no college, nothing, right? It's nothing. Just, I'm so, done. So, so you're... You, <laughs> <laughs> you have girls? I have one girl and I got one boy. Okay. Yeah, I got two girls. So. All right. About the same age, 25 and 23. So, okay. So your horizontal... So your expenses, what would you say they are roughly a month just, you know, for you to live? For me to live, it's personal. Probably, yeah, personally, it's probably about I don't know. Let's say what is my expenses a month? My expenses a month, personally, I have to be a little careful here, uh, Pat. Um, for a variety of reasons, I can't talk 
dollars and cents here, and we discussed that ahead. Well, of let, time. yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Let's let me ask it this way. So, what percentage of your um, horizontal income pays your personal expenses? Do you I'd think? say the horizontal income covers today about twenty percent of my personal expense. Twenty percent, right? Okay. And then you had mentioned before we started that that's going to rise significantly. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, what's going to happen is part of my involvement with one of the uh, families. They have extensive uh, real estate investments. And as I invest more alongside of them, I'm going to have the opportunity to participate in all those real estate investments. So over the next couple of years, I should create a large portfolio of passive income, which just throws off income every month. And I would expect by the end of maybe two years from today, that would be 100% just from that, excluding any other investing. Oh, no kidding. Okay, so they're going to tie you into those deals? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a great way to get paid, by the way. I'd take that all day long. And, and you can afford to now, right? Because, you, you know, you don't have to, you don't have a family to support at this juncture. So, um, you know, why not? Best, best way to get, best way to do is uh, work for knowledge or work for equity. Those two things. That's a David Osborne quote. So, ah. so <laughs> work for knowledge, work for equity, forget everything else. So, The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Uh, let's talk about your life happiness index. Where, what's your number? So my number, I went through, there were 15 categories here, right? Yes, indeed. That you listed, okay. So, and we can go through them. The number- well, Just tell me, what, tell me what the average number was, and, uh, and then I want to- The average which, number which is like, like an eight. Eight, now, and then wh which one's the lowest? Well, the lowest was horizontal income. I gave myself a three, no. because I'm only covering- <laughs> 20%. Yeah, 20%. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Which I thought was pretty fair. Yeah, interesting. And which one was the highest? Which one the highest? Well, the two I well, they're kind of up there. My uh, romance was high. I have nice. a wonderful girl. We're traveling. I'm having a great time with her. And nice. uh, my love for and I love my work. I love what I do. I love what I do for my clients. And, you know, it's... Uh, if I didn't need, you know, if I didn't need to get paid, I'd do it for free. All right. And, and uh, what, do you, what do you weigh, Paul? What do I weigh? I weigh 182. What do you want to weigh? This is a good weight for me, Pat, somewhere around here, around 180, 182. I'm six foot one, work out pretty regularly. My body fat's down to around 14%. Nice. According to the latest stats, and which is actually very good for someone my age because I am 58 now nice. and if you look at the guidelines uh, you're expected to be at this age a good healthy is 20 percent at this age so what's, what's your, tell me about your diet my diet uh pretty good in the morning it is typically uh fresh fruit some protein uh maybe cheese and i'll probably have some granola or something i'm typically at lunch having uh, yogurt oftentimes at lunch and a salad. And dinner, I always have protein, usually fish or chicken, along with fresh vegetables, salad, and, and fruit. That's my typical diet. You don't eat carbs? 
I don't eat a lot of carbs. No. no. Interesting. I eat some carbs because sometimes I'll have, you know, rice or whatever with the, with the, the meal, but I don't eat a lot of carbs. It's easy to do when your kids, it's, it's, it's much easier not to eat. In my experience, it's much easier not to eat carbs when your kids grow up. When your kids are like five and ten, I mean, it's like a carb factory in the house usually, unless you're massively disciplined, you know. Well, I mean, the problem is, I think it's that the diet that your kids eat is carb heavy. And so, yeah. all, the stuff's, so all the stuff's in your house and, uh, you know... Once they move out, well, then you don't keep that stuff in and the there's house. And no, there's no leftover macaroni and cheese in the, in the pot that you cooked it in that you don't want to flush down the garbage. They, they, there's, no, there's no <laughs> potato chips. There's no Frito-Lays. There's no this. <laughs> there's no rice. It all goes, right? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So let, let's talk about the last 58 years, uh, Paul. If you, if you like, had... That, you know, all great musicians have a, um, a greatest hits album, right? And so Paul Sloan had a greatest hits album of his life memories, his most poignant memories in his life uh, over the past 58 years. What are five greatest hits that you can um, write down? Or well, tell us, I, I did. I went through this. I looked at this and thought, I really thought about this, Pat. And so my number one is the birth of my kids. Nice. Okay. I think, I think that nice. is the number one thing. And then the number two thing, which relates to the kids, was when they graduated from college. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, just enjoying them, their lives, and giving them a good giving them a know, Knowing that they're going to be hopefully productive citizens. Productive and because they got Right. Because they, gra yeah, they got as far as graduating from college, right? Right. Okay. okay. So those are really good. So other big things in my life have been... Uh, building the companies I built, I built two. I'm now on my number three. That's what, uh, what? What? Are, what are the two companies you built? Okay, so I built a successful uh, financial services company in the institutional marketplace, and took it from nothing. Uh, we got up to about two and a half billion in assets, which is, I think, pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So you. So, but that, isn't that what you have now? Well, not yet. So, but tell me the difference between financial services company and advisor. So you're fee for service now and before you were more. Okay, so more here's, like the, here's the real difference. The real yeah. difference is in that case, I was servicing people, let's say, like the state of Utah or, you oh. know, Philadelphia Electric or Drexel University. And we mm. would be managing a portion of their endowment. Or their pension plan, and okay. we've been directly managing the money to deliver returns within a certain mandate. So it was all indirect management. Now you're much more direct to the human being. Well, yeah. So that was we were managing the money, but we were not. We were directly managing the money, but it was indirect. We weren't really. We were dealing with big institutions. Now we're managing money less and advising more. And it's all individuals now. Mm. So everyone we deal with now is individual versus dealing with big institutions before. Got it. Yes. And, and what, what, what's more fulfilling for you? Oh, I love dealing with the individuals. <laughs> because you get to see the positive results of all the work you do for them. Yeah. You get to say, man, I made more money for you this year than I made for myself and only 
had four telephone calls with you. You know, that's not fair. <laughs> well, it's more than that. Uh, I mean, I, I advise them on a whole bunch of other things besides just the money. Yeah, yeah. I bet you do. Okay, so what else you got on the list? So what else do I have on the list? My charity work. That's been real highlights of my life. I have... Um, very involved with Rotary for many years here. I was president of my local Rotary. I did that. I was on the board and have been involved with uh, educational charities for the last 15 years. And I was instrumental in bringing on a CEO to one of those charities that has really propelled that charity forward for one of the educational charities. So that's been very fulfilling in my uh, life. And so I expect to do more of that over uh, time. And we can talk about in what I'm hoping some of my future greatest hits are. And so that's really, to me, really important, giving back. It's not just taking, it's giving back. Right, absolutely. Well, let's move to that. So tell me about this. Tell me about that one in your future greatest hits. Oh, in the future greatest hits. I might have mentioned it to you. I'm working on getting some vocational schools uh, opened up here in the Philadelphia area. Specifically, I'm focused on technical manufacturing vocational schools. There's a big manufacturing uh, and light manufacturing here in Pennsylvania. So there's a big need. There's also a growing need in uh, certain areas right on the coast because of some of the recent construction that's going on down there with some manufacturing plant. So the idea here would be to create what we would call charter schools within the city of Philadelphia to train underprivileged youth, we'd probably have to have a component that made sure that their education was at the point where they could learn the vocational skills so that when they graduate from high school, they would have the skills to then be able to go get an apprenticeship and work. And I have a lot of contacts here in the state, and I've been working on that. Now I'm working on getting the funding set up up front before uh, we really take the plunge to get this all set up. It's probably, I'm going to guess, 18 months away to having these kind of open. But that's going to, you know, getting that accomplished would be a future greatest hit. Wow. That's, uh, well, I'm sure you'll get it accomplished because you seem passionate about it. And uh, that's what it's really about, right? That's what it's really about. It's a, that's a fascinating. Did you, have you ever read uh, Michelle Rees' book, Radical? No, I've never I, read it. I think it's called Radical. It's something you know who Michelle Rhee is. Don't even know who she. She is. was. Uh, she was a one-term superintendent of the D.C. public schools, and uh, she came out saying, "I am a one-term superintendent," because she knew that she knew that the mayor was going to get uh, fired. It was a one-term mayor, and and she was going to be a one-term. And, and by that, if you come out with a public office saying you're going to be a one term, that means you're going to basically kick some heads in and then all the, all, <laughs> That's all exactly the, right. All the, all the unions, the school's unions are going to squash you because they're going to vote for the other candidate because they hate you. Correct. You're going to be an enemy of the school unions. So she came out and man, she, she, she's got a great story. She went in there and changed everything about the DC public school system. And of course, the unions crushed her, and and they all lost. But but uh, you should read that. It's a great it's a great uh, testament to charter schools and private schools and and kind of th that whole element. So well, I think that uh, you know I've done a lot of 
study on the educational issues in the major cities. And for institutional reasons, what I think is the solution is ultimately the charter schools over time. And because for the same dollars, they're producing a better result. And so I think that what will happen is that over time, they're just going to gain share. But it's going to be a long, slow process. I mean, even if you look in some cities where you have a pretty big charter school uh, component like New York City, there's still a lot of resistance Mm -hmm. on the union side to the charter schools. And so their progress is really dependent on who's in office. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. All right. So uh, what else you got on the future greatest hits there, Paul? Ah, future's greatest hits, uh, my kids' weddings. That would be on the future greatest hits for sure. I have building out the whole family office side of the business to create a true multifamily office. I like Uh, that. I have on there taking a year off to go travel the world Mm -hmm. and then just being able to have my laptop and check in and do whatever's needed right on my laptop from wherever I am. So I that's that, which is kind one of one year, one year, huh? One year. That means I leave and I don't come back for a year. I want to do that too. Uh, but, but I want to start with a month. And well, like, I've like done, I've done a month. A you've month done a month. Okay. A month is great. Have you ever done a month in one house? Like one like so here's yeah, my I did that I did that in Italy just and so yes. we rented an apartment for a month. That's what I want to do. I want to rent a house on a cliff in Greece overlooking the water. You know, just for a month. And you can travel from there, but I've I've gone on a lot of vacations and I've gone on uh, vacations as long as 3 weeks, pushing 3 right. weeks, but they've been boom 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 like no, 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 different no. places, you know it's what I mean? I want, I want to do like uh, this is my residence for 30 days. Well, what's great about that, then, and you always pick it someplace where, like, you can just, and rent a car, because then you can just drive anywhere, which is what I basically did in Italy. So, right. one, rent a car, you went everywhere. And then if you want to take a right. little two- to three-day trip, you Pull take up a Airbnb to or trip. hotels tonight on your phone and be like, hey, let's, boom, let's go here. I right. met someone that was that did that that uh, that you, you know would just pull it up on their phone that day and be like oh, okay boom I'm staying here. Well, that's what I did. I did a little two to three day when I was in Italy. We did a little uh, two to three day. We yeah, it was three days. We drove down and around the heel of the boot, and we didn't have any hotels. So like wherever we got to by the end of the day, we'd then go look on our phone. We'd find a place, and that's where we stayed. Wow. Right. Fascinating. It's great. I love that. So, hey, Paul, I want to play a game with you. Um, okay. I, pl- I played this with uh, Garrett Gunderson, and I played it recently with Kathy Fetke, who has the Real Wealth podcast, and, and it, it ties into our what we did on stage. It's a bull or bear. I just want to throw out uh, some things and says for 2020, 2021. So let's, because I know that was a big deal on stage. You guys were like, uh, uh, you know, what's the time frame? So I'm going to say the time frame is, is from now to the end of 2021, right? So only two years. And uh, just tell me, bull or bear? It, you know, we we might get into some, but uh, ah, ah. <laughs> that could make a four-hour podcast. So let's just say, just tell me, bull or bear, and then I'll come back to something I'm curious okay. about. U.S. economy, bull. All right, cryptocurrency, 
from an investment perspective, both. Private equity, but private equity in the sector of software for the government, software, that sort of thing, just software. Let's say private equity, but software private equity. Commercial, I'd be a bear on that as an investment, specifically government-related, bullish, they're going to spend more. And the, and the reason I, I picked that out, because I was in one of your newsletters, what uh, you, you had said that... Uh, you know, it, it, you called it a, I forget the word that you use, uh, a no-lose situation. Private equity in the software space, I think you said, um, you know, because you wrote it. And what else? Public stock market or something you said was a no, oh, oh commercial real estate, I think you said. Right, commercial no, real estate. Commercial real estate and private equity in the software sector was well, no not lose. The software, well, the software... I thought was a no lose, right? Because it's, if you're talking about software for commercial real estate, that's going to be a huge boom. Everything's mm. being automated. We're going to cut all the people out. We're going to cut them out of construction. Uh, we could spend a whole show on that, Pat. <laughs> ah. Holy dirt. Holy dirt. Well, do you think that that, so, uh, you know, the reason that I remember that about that newsletter was because you know, I was thinking about, I'm thinking about currently, one of my options of investing is into a private equity fund that is a software fund. And a lot Real of the soft software? No, no government. I'm oh, government. You know, what I want to say is subcontractors. Okay. For the federal government, that sort of software, right? Yeah, like that would do Security okay. software, defense software. That's going to do really well. In the future. Yeah. In okay. the next five years, that'll do really well. Okay. They, well, they, they need to spend more money on it. I mean, there's just enough. a piece in today's uh, newspaper this morning about how the uh, Navy is behind where it needs to be in terms of security for its software and everything. So they're going to have to spend catch-up money. Mm, love it. All right. Well, good news. I'm going to double my commitment then. Um, all right. Let's move uh, on. So, so commercial real estate. You still like commercial real estate? No. No, you um, don't. Okay. I don't so like get, commercial get out, real estate. I'm, I'm negative. And we're already seeing a drop. We've seen a drop in values in commercial real estate in many major cities, Paris, London, Munich, New York. Uh, in fact, there was just an article this week, Wall Street Journal on the drop and ink in hotel valuations in New York City and a oh. number of defaults on hotel mortgages no. in New York City. And there's still a lot of hotel rooms coming. So I'm kind of not, this is the wrong point in the cycle to commit a lot of capital to commercial real estate. I think in the next two years, there's going to be opportunities because there are going to be defaults on mortgages and stuff. Especially what about, when, what does, that, does that include uh, multifamily? Uh, I think ultimately multifamily. What you've got right now is... Uh, interesting statistic, the number of rooms under construction for multifamily mm. is like the highest since 1986. I read that this week. The highest since, yeah, it's crazy. What, or just out of curiosity, again, I keep bringing this back to my personal business decisions. What do you think about multifamily in the Philadelphia area? I'd have to look at the supply and demand. Philly's a yeah. little bit different. Uh, because it doesn't cycle up as much as a place like New York. New York, I mean, I grew up in New York. 
I've been through like three or four real estate cycles in New York City. Yeah. New York City is one of the most cyclical real estate boom bust markets in the country. Right? Yes, I know. The heights are unbelievable as well as the depths, right? So I think, you know, things have rolled over in New York City. And I think that, you know, they've already starting their downturn now. Scary. Uh, unfortunately. What? But I think Philly is less cyclical than New York because there's a lot of eds and meds, right? What eds and meds? Yeah, educational and medical. Ah, good one. Eds and meds. All right, I learned something new. Eds and meds. All right, what about what 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 about residential real estate? What about what about a guy that owns a hundred single family homes he rents out? You know, should he sell half? Well, I think, you know, over time, the right thing to do, it depends on, here's what it is. Two years ago, we told our real estate clients that they should start selling whatever real estate they didn't want to take through the next recession. We didn't know when that would be, right? So that was like in 2018, the beginning of 2018. Yeah. And because we're not good on picking exactly when things peak out we just no one is no one is but we could see kind of that things would peak and you know nothing not all classes of real estate peak at the same time they kind of have sort of rolling you know yes yeah right so what happens is uh so maybe hotels will be the first piece to to roll over but for single family we're actually bullish on single family over a five year. Oh, you are. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. And good. here's why. Here's why. Because I think you're going to go through a period where single family prices, home prices go sideways or pull back a little here. Mm. But you've got this demographic wave called the millennial coming yes, into indeed. single family homes. Okay. They don't want to rent. I mean, your kids buy. Have your kids bought yet? They're not married yet. Yeah, but my kids haven't either, and they have no like they have no desire to. And I have but, I have three I have three nieces that are all in their thirties, and they haven't bought yet. And I'm like, I'm like, buy. You should be buy. Actually, I have and I have a sister in law that's uh, like forty five, and she's just buying her first house. Here's when they buy. Okay, so I have a couple of uh, young couples where we are. Uh, we took them on because uh, one of our clients asked if we would take them on, and uh, we've done that. And what we've seen there is young couples are buying real estate. I mean, if I certainly look in our neighborhood, any and any place on the Philadelphia area, young couples are buying anything that's priced under basically half a million dollars mm. in the Philadelphia market. Okay, and those anything, houses, yeah, affordable stuff, and and, 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 and ten offers right, on some of that stuff. that don't require a large down payment. Yes. Right, so that maybe they take PMI, they put a ten percent down payment. Right, down. a typical FHA loan, yeah. Right, okay. So what we're talking about, I'm that's going to continue for a number of years because they're all starting. And what really precipitates this? So keep them affordable. Stay out of luxury rentals. Yeah, because luxury is going to have a problem. Here's luxury. So right now you have the baby boomers selling the McMansions, right? Yeah, right. And the, and the millennials don't want to buy them. They don't want all that space. The, the supply does not equal the demand for the people that are selling are not the people that are buying. Correct. They don't have the same cultural uh, needs and wants. Right. So. There's a cultural and there's also, I think there's a financial component here and a demographic component. So mm. let's break that 
down. So the demographic component is the millennials are now buying their first homes. They don't have the money to buy the second home yet, and their kids aren't old enough that they might want the space, right? Mm, yes, indeed. But if we ran the demographics starting around 2025 to 2028, they're going to progress to the point where they're going to be buying their second home. And so late in the decade is when those home values will start to pick up as the demand picks up. And we probably won't build a lot of them because there's not demand for a lot of them. Yes. Yes. Well, let, let me wrap this up with one last uh, bull bear question. That's gold. I'm, I've told you, I got up there on stage. I am bullish on gold on a long-term perspective. Over the next two years, it probably does okay. You might have a pullback once the stock market starts pulling back and we start discounting a recession. But I am quite bullish over the next decade on gold because I think the out for all these families if all, all these families, all these families of governments, is that the governments are ultimately going to print lots of pieces of paper and those paper, that paper will circulate and ultimately you're going to have inflation. And we could have a long discussion about that, but I can see the forces gathering that after the next recession, inflation will pick up. That is awesome. Well, well um, Paul, listen, I mean, we could talk Four hours. I mean, I mean, we really ought to have a long, uh, what do they call it? The uh, long term, uh, I forget what Joe Rogan calls hers, but it's like a three hour podcast, whatever, where they just sit back and just chat, 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 chat. But we should have one of those where we just talk about all these things. And uh, But when neither of us uh, have committed that time today, so we won't do it. But uh, I'd love to have you back and just get more into this stuff. I really appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. Always a, a, a fascinating conversation, and thanks for sharing, and I will uh, see you face-to-face -face in the very near future. Yeah, I know you will, Pat, and thank you for the honor of having me on the show. I really appreciate it. In life, to be honest, i failed as much as I've succeeded, but I love my wife. I love my life, and I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, don't step to me, bitch. Now you can